0: The following episode of Behind the Exploratory Lenses is in its full, raw, and unedited form because I feel like a subject like the State of Auto Racing deserves such unedited form. So, those who have a soft ear, I do apologize for certain language in advance, but sit back, relax, get you to think a bit, and enjoy this episode. This is Behind the Exploratory Lenses episode number 11, and once again, a lot of racing that we got to talk about. I mentioned on the last episode when we had Brandon Crossland that this week I'm going to be talking about the graduate system. Is it good or is it bad? And why do I feel like it's going to be a mixed bag? Also, what does it mean to IndyCar competition now that we know there won't be any West Coast racing this season? And what does that mean for the NASCAR side in the future and how I feel about it as well? So let's talk about the system. This came to be a couple weeks ago at Texas Motor Speedway when Quinn Hough had what I like to call the J.J. Yaley moment where he went to pit road across the track in the middle of traffic that hurt Christopher Bell and Matt DiBenedo's car. And then ultimately, Half had a hard look into the barrier to the point that a brand new car was off or not. It caused so much controversy that Brad Brema said it very clearly that it needs to be a system. Clint Boyer backs it up as well a couple days after. And now we've heard Quinn Half be very upset because they just, he feels like they don't know who he is. They don't know him. But what, there's been so much discussion about this system over the past week, how it work, and why do I feel like it's going to have some problems. Here's why I feel like there's going to be some problems with it. First and foremost, you got to think about this you have a race team alliance known as the RTA, in short. Do you really think certain teams are going to be favorable having such systems where if you're involved in multiple incidents, you'll get point, ped, point deductions? Much less If you do it a lot, you get demoted, relegated, or even suspended? Think Formula 1 with the Super License and how close Sebastian Vettel could have been having a 2 or 3 race ban due to meeting a certain quota. And in their case, it's 12 points in the Super License before you must serve a ban. That's kind of how I interpret what Keslowski is eyeing for and what he wants and what Boyer said. But the Boyer's perspective is he felt like at first there was one, but at the same time he knows he wants to be comfortable with the competitors around him. And I just got recently done hearing a podcast that had BJ McLeod to do where BJ McLeod is like the epitome of how to do things right when the middle of lap traffic is concerned. Hardly, With the exception of Daytona and Atlanta a year ago, McLeod is a driver that usually is never being brought up in a negative light. He usually isn't. He knows for, he knows how to use his head. Some drivers do, but they get so much flack over like Quinn Howe. And then he obviously had Garrett Smithley last year at Las Vegas. And also, I firmly believe he might have had a big role on the Pocono incident between Bush and Blaney. Because he was there, Kyle Busch was trying to get by Smithley, then Blaney decided to go low, trying to find an opening gap to get through. But it just ran out of real estate, and then it caused Kurt, Kyle Busch to have the problems, as though did Blaney. Smithley has been the center of controversy, so has Rick Ware's kid. To the point that I firmly believe, at the time, here's a little story. At the time, back in 2019 in Kansas, when Alex Bowman had yet to win a cup race, he probably could have won it had it not been through certain circumstances at that point. Where I felt like Rick's kid maybe was in the way. He might have got in the way. Some people say I'm oh, right. He fully was in the way and cost Bowman to win. Literally I found out something even minuscule. Like v- verbally I literally tweeted maybe. lead to a block. So I have no regards to Rick Ware's kid at all. Carson on the other hand. He's, he's he's fine with me for now as the other kid from the wear camp that he's no longer a part of to begin with they tends to use depression and autism as an excuse to a fault now don't get me wrong I've had autism but I don't let it be the NOB all why you I should be sympathized or be sympathetic I will and' that's as far as I'll go about that particular driver sports car career he He can do whatever he wants with the sports car career. When it comes to NASCAR, he has had instances where such graduate tier system would have relegated him a long time ago. That's my honest opinion. As far as Quinn Half is concerned, it's a 50-50. I put partial blame on Quinn, and I put partial blame on the spotter. Depending on when the spotter mirror fell. This is one of those instances where you could have advised the spot, spotter. I don't know if he ended up doing so. I hope he did. And I imagine he did. Just bad circumstances. I imagine there's another mirror. You can look. You can do the wave and all that. But you could also. There's so many things you to think you got to consider. The spotter. I don't know if the spotter was not using their head enough. To where that incident could have been avoided. It easily could have been avoided. No doubt about it. Fortunately for how he had a much better race at Kansas. That was won by Danny Hamlin. And a race week that had three big licks on the backstretch. The first one being Ryan Priest that lifted the car up the front the 15th red flag of the NASCAR Cup Series Tour this year. Counting the one from the Bush Clash as well. And I wouldn't be remiss to, I will say this, the Memorial Day stoppage, I consider it as a red flag as well. So that's where the 15 comes from. But that's a different story for another time. You also had Russ Lane who had a hard lick in the ARCA race. And, and the last but not least, you had Corey Roper taking a heavy hit, which was unfortunate for Corey because I, when I interviewed him, at Texas. This is a family outing. They're trying to make the most of it and enjoy. It. So that's not a good deal to see a guy like Corey Roper, family, independently owned team, one of the very few Fords out there to start off, have an incident. It's a bummer deal. But how've had no issues? And also, I might add, J.J. Yaley had a top 25 car. He stayed on the lead lap for practically almost the entire race up until around lap 220 of 267. That's when he finally lost his lap. But he, and I will say this, out of the Rick Ware camp, J.J. Yaley has been the most consistent driver. Sure, he's been in the game for a real long time. But having him as a full-time driver has done pretty good wonders because he's a guy that's over time, been able to salvage a pretty decent car. Compared to his rookie year at Joe Gibbs, when he ultimately took Mark Martin out of the championship at Charlotte. That was just a bad rookie mistake. And that's how I see with the Quinn Hufford deal A bad rookie mistake. He'll learn from it and eventually overcome it. Just like McLeod with, with the incident with Ryan Priest at Atlanta. And also the incident at Daytona on Pit Road. He's managed to overcome it where you don't hear bad things about McLeod at all. He's a good guy as well. I still remember back in media day at Daytona that... I, to where, because I brought this up, if I recall, sports car race. I forget who it was, but I know I'm somewhere around the lines. I we talked about sports car racing. Would he consider doing it, knowing that Rick's kid does the sports car thing? He's probably where he is at his most competent. Period. It doesn't say a whole lot. He wouldn't. He feels like he needs to be better on those road courses before he tries a little sports car. He's open to it, but he's not ready to do it just yet. But then after hearing the podcast that he was in. You have guys like Kyle Bush, and Ryan Newman praising him for knowing what he's doing, He accepting the... It's kind of like they appreciate the role that he's in. He knows the role that he's in, so he doesn't get in the way, but also wants to get better and better over time. And I certainly wish nothing but the best for McLeod going forward. I hope he does slowly climb up the race, because he's been in the game for a real long time when it comes to all-around auto racing. He's been in the game for a long, long time. Literally, I think I was like not even five years old when McLeod was starting and running those major super late model races. He was really young when he began. He's been doing it for a while. And certainly, gained more respect and a little bit more takeaway from that. Not just from Daytona Media, but also the podcast episode I recently heard. But as far as Half is concerned, he wasn't terrible in the Xfinity. He made, what do you say, bottom of the barrel equipment competition. He got a top 15 at Bristol. It's just one incident or multiple incidents, and it doesn't help that the previous driver, Landon Castle, quite a fan favorite, had a very, very low crash ratio, if I recall, the lowest of a year ago, and yet he got replaced. Castle's just now is the blue emu guy, to be frank with you. So, this is like that, yeah, you might consider just sitting him down, letting just explain what's going on. I totally get why Half be upset because. His wife got threats for it. And stuff like that is just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous to where it goes beyond the driver. It's pathetic in my book. It really is. At the same time, it's a 50-50 in my book. It's stuff like that. If if it was under the super license, if it was Formula One, you'll get deducted quite bad to the point you probably end up like Yuhei Day in 2006, who after like, what, three rounds got the super license revoked? Stuff like that, you, you gotta use, you gotta think very costly. You gotta use your head. But I don't, I, I refuse to be, let that thing define him. Hopefully, he, he has moments where okay, they've gained respect. But guys like Klasiky and Bor pointing stuff out like that, you gotta you gotta think for a moment. Will it work? My opinion, it can, but it's gonna take a lot. Because if something like that happens to where, say for example, the driver gets demoted, or relegated, or suspended because of such system implemented, what if? Sponsorship decides to take the ball with the driver. Then you're in a bad spot where the team owners could have sponsorship troubles because sometimes the drive the sponsorship sponsors the driver. They just go with them. They may be dedicated to only the driver, not the team. Like Eric Almarola and Smithfield. They let Smithfield let the Petty Camp and went with jump aboard with Stuart Haas. Same with Ricky Rudd with Tide. They jump with them. Stuff like that is bound to happen is something like that is implemented what if the sponsors don't want to fully be on board with the sub driver whoever they put whether it's a veteran driver experience or somebody they feel like okay he's ready let's put him in an opportune ride like for example say let's use an example for say half ended up getting relegated for such actions you, who would Starcom go with? Would they want to bring back Castle? Would they want to bring a more comp, a more a competent, qualified driver? In the eyes of Keselowski and Boyer, it's so much politics involved that it's going to be so messy, so convoluted. It will never make it past the initial discussion. It's just won't. It's a nice feature to have, and it's implemented in the in the FIA. But when it comes to NASCAR, I'd imagine it's just not going to fall through. And Okay, Noah Gregson, he's been involved in multiple instances where it's his fault, or he inflicted it, or it's just bad luck. You think certain sponsorships will be on board to sponsor, say, I don't know, a Timmy Hill? Say Dale Jr. looks around the pool, and you've got to, you only have a certain amount of drivers, drivers you can go with. Sponsorship is going to be the big curveball. It's just, this is going to be, that's what, how I feel. It's just the sponsorship is going to be the problem with this circumstances and also the team's willingness to do such act if necessary. I like the idea. I don't see it going past RTA. I just don't. They can complain. They can argue all they want. It just comes down to you got to be strong about it. The driver's got to be strong about it. If they're going to be that vocal, implement it, and then maybe the teams will discuss it. Maybe NASCAR could be looking into it. right? At the end of the day, I don't see a pass. I don't. I just don't. That's my take of the whole Quinn Huffey. It's a 50-50. The graduate system, good on paper. Execution-wise, too much conflict. It's just not going to work. I just don't. And I don't know if a guy like Dale Jr. would be open to give Timmy Hill an opportunity to drive the 9 cars. say Gregson got penalized from from such system. You know what I mean? It boils down to sponsorships. And the teams. And a lot of stuff. It would be a mess. I like. Again. Good idea. Just long term. I don't see it getting past the board. Now let's talk about the West Coast. As far as IndyCar. So. Monday. It was announced that both the Grand Prix of Portland. And the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey Doubleheader are cancelled. They're done. So the NTT IndyCar Series have announced their 5th rhetorician of their schedule their fifth of 2020 instead of portland and the doubleheader laguna now we have another set of doubleheaders including next week at mid ohio so now we have a saturday and a sunday race the other doubleheader would be gateway which will be a saturday and sunday event to which is a day race it's not a night race mind you like a year ago or the year prior and the last doubleheader is the Harvest Grand Prix which will be held on October 2nd on a Friday which is my birthday and then of course the originally scheduled event on October the 3rd. Because of Portland and Laguna Seca getting the axe. It's the first time in the history of American open wheel racing that we won't have a race in the state of California since 1947 and as far as the West Coast it's the first time since 1946. We're talking about the time period my grandpa was born. Since we not had an IndyCar sanctioned event, whether it's USAC, Champ Car, CART, Indy Racing League, you name it, we have not had one. We haven't had a calendar that has been absent with absent on the West Coast since '46. In case you're wondering why '47 California, there was a West Coast race at known as the Pikes Peak Hill Climb in 1947. So that's why '46 is the overall grand scope because they've had races. At Phoenix, Sacramento, San Jose, Riverside, Long Beach, Pikes Peak, Phoenix, L- you name it, Laguna, Ontario, Sonoma. You've had a lot of racing in the West Coast from 47 onwards till now. Which is a shame because there's no because literally the only West Coast racing that on the Pacific Northwest side of there is left is the Arcumanars West race at Evergreen. And that event will be next Friday, and uh, and of course you the following day they have to go to Roseburg, Oregon. So you have two days of Arca West action. But as far as the majors is concerned, there's none. There's none left. NHRA are not going to Seattle. World Allis are not going to Skagit. The only ones left really outside of the outside of that area is just the Arca West. And as far as the grand scope of things on the west side, we of course, we ran a Utah and Irwindale. You had the west coast swing on NASCAR before the pandemic, where they were at Vegas, Fontana, and Phoenix. But you still have another race at Vegas, and you have the finale on NASCAR at Phoenix. Those are still question marks. And there's still, I remember hearing, there's a possibility that Las Vegas and Texas Motor Speedway could swap dates to where Vegas have more of a leagueway time period. They've had a race at Texas, but it's not part of the west region It's not West Coast. It's part of the Southwest. Big difference down there. It's part of the Southern region. So that's why I don't consider Texas. Otherwise, the West Coast streak continues on. But we're talking about the regional aspect, which is like California, Oregon, Washington, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, that area. Those are the West region. Texas onwards are different entities. It's a shame because Portland... It's the closest track to me as far as major automobile racing is concerned. It's when it comes to like the big ones like NASCAR and IndyCar. Without and now Laguna Seca. Got, that one does not surprise me at the absolute slightest. Because I just had a feeling for about a month and a half that it's just not going to happen. And now it won't happen. It's not feasible as well because you're just going from... Say, let's see. They got Gateway and then a couple weeks they had to go to Monterey. And just then go back to Indianapolis. It's just a long winding trip. It Which is very unfortunate because that... Just leaves the west coast without a bone for any form of racing, unless if it's regional superlates. That's all you got this year in 2020. There really is. And as far as the Harvest Grand Prix, you're talking about from Gateway, the August, you have the doubleheader in Mid Ohio, then you have qualifying week, then you have the 500, and then after that, you have two straight races at Gateway. And then after that, there's no racing in September, there's no IndyCar action in September. That's the problem with the cancellations, there's no action, which is unfortunate. But it will be much needed because now you added another pair of double headers, with Gateway and Mid Ohio. Sure, great for the fans. Again, more indie car action. It's just gonna make the championship trail quicker. And as far as, as a writer's concern, only specifically on the writers concerned, it's just gonna add a more workload than necessary, honestly. But hey, you gotta complete the championship as best as possible. But after Gateway, there could be a big mystery. Because after that, you have a month off. And then October, you have the Harvest doubleheader. And then late October, you have the finale at St. Petersburg. If I'm NBC, you promote the living hell out of those final two race weekends. The Harvest and St. Petersburg. Hypothetically, if we still going to have it. You never know. Depending how the 500 and gateway goes as far as the numbers. The pandemic is concerned. You never know. But. You have a month off. You have no IndyCar action to speak of. You don't. And that third and then we're gonna talk about TV contract. That's gonna be a big mystery in 2021. Because that is, that deal is optional. It's a three-year package. We're in the second year with NBC being exclusive. That third year is optional. The way things are going, this could be bad news. And the reason why I'm saying it's bad news after we haven't had enough already. Is that if they don't promote the Harvest Grand Prix at St. Petersburg in that month-off period in September, this could be bad for IndyCar and its marketing and its the sponsorships. There really could be problems lying ahead, whether as far as the race team and the money and everything else, because we're in the toughest time period in our economy ever. We really are. And I had a major conversation with somebody from the IndyCar Realms, about it to where it got me thinking good valid points this could be trouble and as far as the indianapolis 500 is concerned there's at least 30 confirmed we need 33 cars to fill we could meet it but that qualifying bus may just be faster 33 and only 33 show up like we, we had the struggle half a decade ago Sure, the pandemic didn't really help because we were looking probably having like 35, 37 cars, but now we're, we're going to be lucky to even have 33 at this point. And we're two weeks away from the month of August to really kick in the high gear at Indianapolis. 25% capacity. That's about 87,000 only allowed out of, say, three hundred and twenty-two to 350,000 capacity. There'll be no snake pit. To, they have the 88-page system. I said 95, but it is, it's the 88-page format. If you haven't looked into it, look into it. Even if you're not a racing fan, give it a look just to see how their health protocol works. How they're going to go about it in Indianapolis if you're a health freak. But for TB, you promote it. That's the thing with NASCAR. I did not know there was a race at Kansas on a Thursday until a few days prior. And I was during the Cup race in Texas. You got to promote it better. And with NASCAR, IndyCar, NBC, Fox, whoever, they got to promote better. If you're going to get those weeknight races, get a good rating. Because they did not have a good rating, the Thursday race. It was one of the lowest, I think, to my knowledge, the lowest rated NASCAR races since 2000 has been this year. And those were the weeknight events. You They got to promote better on the NASCAR side if they really want to make that week, weekly thing Feasible. And who and that 2021 calendar is coming soon for NASCAR. We know Nashville Super Speedway is going to be one of those, as we talked about last week with Brandon. We're both looking forward to it. Just a matter of when is it going to fall. If I remember, it's, take, it's taking one of the Dober dates. It's taking one of the Dober dates away. And mind you, Dober, the doubleheader weekend, is going to be in the same weekend with the Indianapolis 500 you know, you damn sure know it's not going to do well ratings-wise. That's just by the saying, because it's the Indianapolis 500. But for all any other racing going forward, you got to be better at promoting if they're interested. Because you're talking about money loss, you're talking about ad revenue lo- being faulty. This is not a good time right now in the world of racing. And I've known this, but there's a bigger picture than just the media, the credentialing aspects, and the photography. You go up the big dog, the big money, ads, revenue, promotion, is piss poor. Period. That's just how I see it. They gotta do better. Period. Because those midweek races have potential, but if you don't, if you, if the networks or sanctioning body and everyone all across the board don't promote it well enough, or the folks out there promote it, how we're gonna know? And in this time period, now you have baseball back, basketball back. You're going to have soccer and football. Fingers crossed. Well, soccer is man back. Fingers crossed on football. Oh, man. Boy, we're going to be in trouble, racing-wise, as far as numbers is concerned, if you're into that kind of crap. We are. Period. Even during the NASCAR race, they were promoted as soon as they announced baseball is coming back at this time Period. All I saw is a bunch of baseball ads, baseball ads on Fox. It worked. It, I felt like it did work. Sure, we could talk about the CGI crowds or the Miami Marlins derping the fuck out of baseball to where maybe baseball could be in trouble again. But at the end of the day, we're, this is a problem for open wheel racing and stock car. So this this time gap, where there's no indie car action in September, I say if I were IndyCar, promote the living hell. Living shit. Because if not, then you got to think ahead in the brain that maybe NBC may just only want the 500 and that's it. And then we're going to have a bigger problem over time. Fingers crossed that optional year is open. And they're going to be okay with it. But don't bet on that right now. That's going to happen. That's just my thought. Oh man, that was a rant-laced episode, don't you think? But anyways, I'm looking forward to do photography at the ARCA West Race at Evergreen. I really am, because that might be it. Fingers crossed that I still somehow end up doing the Indianapolis Fire, because that is the dream goal. And all things considered, i got to think about those two events being it. And as far as NASCAR concerned, we'll see as the months go on. As far as Las Vegas and Phoenix, and even Texas as well. Don't forget Texas. I've been frequent going down there as well oh next week is gonna be different i'll tell you what it's not gonna be anger it's not gonna be grand lace just tune in next week and also make sure you listen to the other episodes where i have guests such as frisky nixon emerson arden brandon crossland and Balto racing i will guarantee you we're gonna have more guests along the way including close friends, advisors, hell, I may even have my editor chief who knows, maybe someday I'll have racing drivers discuss on a podcast format, you know, because at the end of the day, it's more than just racing, it's about life as well, and that's what I want to bring in this series, I know this episode was strictly fully loaded racing, but that's what I mentioned last week, so bear with me for those who are looking for other stuff besides it, I did talk about baseball, you know, it's just in case you're wondering. But anyways, until we meet again, catch you guys later. I'm going to try to enjoy this week off from writing, make most of it. If you want to listen to the other episodes, it's on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, and iHeartRadio. Social media, Luis Torres Multimedia. Type it up on the Google. You'll find my website. It's LuisDTorres.com. Instagram, LuisDTorres94. David, T O R R E S 94. Twitter at the LT files, and of course on Facebook, behind the exploratory lenses, and also give Motorsports Tribune a look as well. That's the outlet I write for. We can use as much publicity and buzz as possible, especially during trying times. So, once again, until we meet again, catch you guys later. Stay safe. Please use your hand and be mindful of others.